through your word, help us to glorify you and build your kingdom. And Jesus, we want to be a part of that. We need to be a part of that. Help us to do your work. Jesus, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brian. If you're here for the first time, we're glad you're here. Um, we are in week three, or excuse me, week four, I guess, of a short series about spiritual growth, thinking through um, the idea of, or asking the question of, are you growing spiritually? And so this morning, um, we will talk about that we are to be a part of a community that is on mission, that there is a purpose for our community. Before we do that, though, let's just review really fast. We always need to review if we're going to remember anything. So a long time ago, we said if we want to grow spiritually, we want to live what we've learned. So in our own individual personal lives, we want to be applying scriptural truth to our lives and growing. Number two was serve where you're needed, serve where you're gifted, that if you want to be growing spiritually, you want to be a part of a community where you are serving and giving of yourself. Number three was if you want to grow spiritually, you need to connect your life to other people, that you need to share your life with other people, the good things, the hard things, the challenging things. And then this morning, we're going to learn that Jesus calls us all to be a part of a community that lives for a cause that is more significant than our own personal comfort, but that we're also sent out by a power greater than us. So this morning, Jesus calls us to be a part of a community that lives for a mission, that lives for a purpose that is more significant than our own personal comfort, our own personal security, but that also we're sent out by a power greater than ourselves. It's interesting if you do a, an informal poll of children they, and you ask them about career choices when they're little kids, they almost always say something related to helping other people. If you ask a five-year-old, and I'll tell you, I did ask my boys this morning, but if you ask a kid, very few children, in fact, I've, I don't think I've ever heard a child say, I want to be an investment banker that sits at a desk, <laughs> right? They don't say that, right? So my boys said, besides being big league baseball players, which I said, okay, besides that, they, uh, we had lifeguards, we had a, a policeman, and we had, um, Cade wants to work with and help animals. And the, the common theme behind that is that there is something within us as, as people, part of our humanity, is that we want to be connected to something that's more important than our own personal security, our own personal happiness. All of those jobs are about helping other people and feeling connected to other people. In fact, it made me think about um, when my boys were young, the, favor, the, or the favorite movie in our home was the story of Nemo. And the, the story of Nemo, the, the basic part of it that I recall at least, is about a father 
on mission to rescue his son. In fact, basically all of the superhero movies that we, we watch over the last 10 years or so are always about people on a mission to overcome evil, to help, to help other people. And what happens is as we grow older, for some reason we lose sight of the value of purpose, of meaning, and we become a little bit more self-centered. In fact, I was talking um, to a, 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 a coach recently in Malibu Little League, and he helps out. He has no children on the team, but he helps out, and his comment to me was that I enjoy giving back. It adds meaning to my life. It gives me purpose to my life. And so it is a reminder for us this morning that if we want to be growing spiritually, it's essential for all of us to be a part of a community that lives for a purpose, that lives for a mission, that has something that we're trying to accomplish that's more important than our own personal happiness, our own personal comfort. And so this morning, we'll talk about three different aspects from John chapter 17 about how they connect to purpose, to mission. And the mission that we, lead, that we read from the Gospel of John can be summarized is that we are sent out ones, that we are to go out and show people what God is really like. To go out, to be sent out, the purpose is to show people what is gospel truth. Because what happens often is people have assumptions, people have distortions about what it means to be a Christian. Right? And so here's what the common assumption is that Christianity is about following rules, about following the Ten Commandments, about following rules or things that people create in their own mind and say, that's Christianity. And they label it their own way. And so the mission is for clarity, to understand that the gospel is good news about what Jesus has done for you. And so this morning, here's what we're going to see. There's three things we can, and there's a lot more, but just for this morning, three things that we will learn about mission from John chapter 17. Number one, prayer protects mission. Prayer protects mission. Number two, joy sustains mission. And then last, holiness makes mission effective. So number one, prayer protects mission. And when, John, uh, when Joel read this morning, John chapter 17, if you, weren't, if you didn't catch this, but this is Jesus praying to his Father. And that's when he says, but now I am coming to you. This is Jesus speaking. And so we learn that Jesus is praying in this specific area for his disciples, and then he will go on to pray for the church. But we learn really early on that Jesus is deliberate, he's intentional about praying for the disciples because he's leaving. It's the idea of um, big brother Jesus with really cool supernatural powers that always makes you feel safe and always rescues you. He's leaving. When I was five or six years old, I had a, an older friend that knew Karate, or as Kramer calls it, Karate. <laughs> I saw that just the other day. I was learning Karate. Um, but there was something extra special about walking and playing in the park 
when you're four or five years old or six years old and your friend who's 10 knows karate. You're like, I, hey, I, I'm safe, I'm secure. And then when he leaves, you're not quite so bold. But anyways, the point is that Jesus, hey, Jesus has been taking, he's been hanging out with the disciples for a long time and he's been telling them, I'm leaving. And so his prayer for them is to sustain them, to protect them. Protect them from what? John chapter 17, verse 14 says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. If we look in the broader context, there's a few things that give us um, information on what he's praying for. Number one, and we didn't read it this morning, but it's a couple of verses before that. He's praying, Jesus prays for unity. He prays for unity for the disciples. Because what's already happened is there's been bickering. There's been arguing amongst the disciples about who's going to be the greatest. Who's the most important person? Who gets to be the one that makes decisions? Who wears the pants? in the relationship. And Jesus says, I'm praying for unity, that there won't be bickering, that people won't be arguing, that people won't be positioning themselves for power, but they will go out as servants. Number two, he prays that, that God, his Father, would protect them from the world, that they would not be influenced, that they would not lose sight of their mission. It is so easy for us to be distracted in the world, to lose sight of our mission. It is very clear from the life of Christ that he has given us a purpose in our lives. That we are to be making disciples. That we are to be investing in our lives in purpose of showing people what God is really like. We also see in the passage, though, that Jesus prays for protection against Satan, against the enemy. Wayne Grudem, a, a, a theologian, says this about Satan. Between Genesis chapter 131 and 3.1, some form of rebellion happened. Some form of angelic rebellion happened. The New Testament talks about this in a couple places. Second Peter and in the book of Jude, where angels left their place seeking a higher place and tried to revolt against God and became then an eternal enemy of God and of his followers. Isaiah chapter 14 says this, speaking of this angel, I will make myself like the Most High. And so Jesus is praying that this is a reality, that there is an enemy out there to distract you, to pull you aside from what's important from what's eternal, from what's everlasting. And one of the main tools that we see here in, at least in 21st century American culture, is consumerism, materialism, all the things that so easily distract us. There are places, and I've only experienced this a few times, but there are places in the world, I believe, where there are more visible outward signs of satanic work. I think maybe I've mentioned this before, but when we were in Haiti and we were driving um, 
Lockwood and Blake and Chase and I, we were driving up in the hills to go visit someplace, and there's a really nice house out in the middle of nowhere. And I said, well, whose house is that? And the, and the girl that was with us said that, that was the VD doctor's house. And maybe it's because I work with teenagers. I'm like, the venereal disease doctor? And she's like, no, idiot. And she's like, no, it's the voodoo doctor's house, right? And so there are places in the world where there is more of this kind of stuff. But I think it's much more subtle where we live today. The effectiveness is in the subtleness of it. And that is Jesus' concern. So he's praying for the disciples because he knows that the mission is easily distracted. I want to just finish up um, the idea that prayer protects mission in this way. I've been a a Christian for probably 20 plus years now, and I've heard lots and lots of sermons about prayer and how we should be praying more. Um, And I'll confess that I, I am an inconsistent prayer until I um, recently was shared an illustration that I'll share with you that has honestly had a, a dramatic change in my life as far as prayer. Because, because I get distracted. Here's what was told to me. If you can imagine that you were diagnosed with a rare disease that was fatal and that you were dying but that a new form of medicine had just been released. It was in the form of a pill. And all you have to do to live the rest of your life, you're 25 years old, life is growing, going great, diagnosed with this disease, and all you have to do is take one pill every night for the rest of your life. Are you going to forget to take the pill? think not. If it's two in the morning, are you going to jump out of bed? Or are you going to roll back and say, I'm too sleepy, I'm too tired. I'll take it the next day maybe. I think not. Last night, went to bed, didn't pray with Karen or the boys, thought about that. Would Would I really stay in bed I'm 43 years old, and my ambition for my life is to grow old with my wife and to raise my boys to love Jesus. Would I, would I really stay in bed instead of getting up and praying with my family? Well, here's the, uh, the truth is, is that since that was shared with me, it's had a dramatic impact on my life. That the idea that we, how much we all enjoy life and prayer just gets pushed aside, gets pushed down on the priority list. And I'm saying to you that the point of the analogy is that prayer gives you life. You, we all need to be a praying community. We need to be connecting with God, with our family, with our children, with our spouses. And I, just, I, I, I share that with you to encourage you that every night at least one time during the day, husbands and wives be praying together. 
Husbands and wives, be praying with your children. Find somebody to pray with every day. And I guarantee you, if you think for a moment that you're diagnosed with some strange disease and the only way you're going to live is if you take that pill, you'll take the pill. And you will pray more. We have to be a church, a praying church, that sees the value of prayer. Prayer will protect your life. Is the bird okay? Prayer will protect your life. Prayer protects mission. I guarantee you this. There's so many distractions in this world that pull you aside from things that are important. If Jesus is praying for his disciples, we need to understand that we need to be praying people because prayer will protect your life. It will protect the mission, the purpose of your life. Let's go on. Number two, what is the connection between mission and joy? Joy sustains mission. Number one, prayer protects the mission. Joy sustains the mission. Chapter 17, verse 13 says this. But now I'm coming to you that these things I speak in the world and that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. All right, so here's the context. Here's what's happening. Jesus is on his way. This is the final moments, days of his life. He's on the way to the cross. He's on the way to die. And he's saying that there is something deep, there is something real about being on mission that brings joy to your life. There is a dramatic or a significant link between your own personal joy in your life and being on mission for your life, for being a part of something that is more important than your own personal happiness. Some of the most miserable people in the world are people that live for their own personal happiness, their own personal security. It's all about them. Some of the most difficult people to get along with because it's all about them. And Jesus is saying something very significant to us. In fact, if you have your Bible, I'm going to just, I'll read very quickly in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Looking to Jesus, excuse me, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him endured the cross. The mission was that he was sent by his Father to take the place of us. Here's how this works. Our fallen nature, our natural disposition is to take the place of God that we want to be the one who makes the decisions, that we want to be the one who calls the shots. We want to step into the role of God in our lives. So the only solution to that is that God must step into our life, into our world. The only solution to our dilemma is that God must have come to earth to die on the cross to take our place. Somebody has to die. Somebody has to pay the consequences for sin. We all have a sense of justice in our lives, in our hearts. The most effective uh, illustration, I've used this before and I'll be very brief on this, is the idea of a judge. 
If someone's driving drunk on PCH and they hit somebody, nobody gets hurt, and they go before the judge and they say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I won't do it again. And the judge says, fine, good, out of boy. Gets drunk again, hits somebody again, paralyzes them. And the judge says, hey, you told me you wouldn't do that again. And the guy says, yeah, you're right, I'm sorry, judge. I promise this time I won't do it again. Judge says, fine, I believe you, okay. Does it again. This time he kills somebody. And the judge says, hey, what's the deal? You keep telling me you won't do it. Okay, so our response then would be to impeach the judge, right? Because that is not justice, especially if it is your friend who's paralyzed, especially if it's your friend who has died. So we all want justice. We all understand the need for justice when we hear it explained that way. So in the same way, when you take the place of God in your life, when I take the place of God in my life and function as the one who calls all the shots, something is needed to atone for that problem. And the solution is a loving God who gave his son Jesus to atone. That is the mission of Jesus. That is the mission that God gave Jesus. And he says that there is joy in that. And here's the point. When you believe in something that is bigger than yourself, you will risk, you will sacrifice, you will be wholeheartedly committed to the mission. Just as in the story of Nemo, when his dad Marlon risks his life to save his son, there is no pleading. He's not, hmm, should I do this or not? He willingly, enthusiastically, regularly risks and sacrifices his own life to rescue his son. That's why Jesus prays, because the mission is risky. But Jesus is saying here, here's something that is, if you understand mission, you will have joy. The problem with our world, and here is an effective tool of the enemy of Satan, is that if you want joy in the world today, it's measured by success. It's measured by how much money you have in the bank. It's measured by where you live. It's measured by your job. We naturally don't think of, or we naturally rank people by success, by achievement. And Jesus is saying something here. <clears throat> that joy is not connected to the things of the world. Joy is connected to mission. Jesus is saying this. The things of the world are temporary. They don't matter eternally. The bank account does not matter eternally. You can be, and we've seen this all the time. In fact, it was in the news this week about really wealthy people who are miserable inside. Your internal joy is not connected to the things of the world. It's connected to you being on mission for Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that there is this joy that sustains regardless of life's circumstances. We all know that life is filled with pressure. Everyone here has some sort of pressures that they're dealing with in life. Relationship pressures, financial pressures. There are things that 
naturally and regularly can bring us down. And what Jesus is talking about here, he's saying there is something available to you. There is life available to you. There is joy available to you regardless of life's circumstances. If you have your Bible, turn back just one page to John chapter 15 because he repeats this. He says this earlier. John chapter 15, verse 11 says this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. I wonder who's living with full joy this morning. Who has peace in their heart. It's available to you today. Here's what John says in John chapter 15. Over and over and over again, he says one word, and we'll start in John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit to prove that you are my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Joy is available to you. Abide in Christ. Christ was about being on mission to rescue people. There is a clear and distinct connection between the joy you have in your own life and being on mission. Living your life with purpose. Living your life with a cause that is greater than yourself. And the cause is sharing with people who Jesus really is. We'll finish up. Oh, I wanted to share one more thing to help us explain this, and then we'll be done with, with joy. We'll go on for this. So this was a pass on to me a couple weeks ago as far as explaining this. Think of it this way. Joy is related to this. My life for me equals no joy. My life for Jesus equals my life for you. People who live my life for me are going from thing to thing to thing, always looking for joy, always looking for meaning. My life for you, that's living on mission, that's living on task, that's living on purpose, that's living for a cause. Each day, probably a dozen times a day, we are presented with opportunities where you have to make a choice. My life for me or my life for you? Cleaning up the dirty clothes around the house. Helping out in little ways each day. Opportunities at work. Doing things that no one asks you to do. You want to have an internal joy that's related to being on mission for Jesus? Think about this. Each day, many opportunities. My life for me leads to no joy. My life for me leads to continual this pattern of always looking for something new to find joy meaning in your life. My life for you will bring you joy. Let's finish with this last thing. What makes the mission that Jesus has called all of us to, what makes it effective, is the word holiness. Let's finish up with this. John chapter 17, verse 16 says this. We'll start in verse 16. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them... In the truth, your word is truth. The word sanctify, sanctify here is the idea of holiness. And that's kind of, I know that's a, a word we don't necessarily use very much today, but here is the word what it means. It's an adjective 
Throughout the Bible, it's almost always used to describe God as set apart, as distinct. And it's used here in this sense, that believers, followers of Jesus, their lives are set apart as distinct for a purpose. A life exclusively for God. Jesus sanctifies himself. He sets himself apart by going to the cross, which affects our sanctification. And Jesus says this, then, well, how does this happen? This happens by the truth. Your word is truth. So your life, if you want mission to be effective, your life is to be set apart. A life set apart for God through God's word. Let me just show you a couple places. And these are, if you haven't memorized any scripture in a long time, here's a good place to start. And here's what I'll say uh, about this, even this concept of your life set apart for God by the truth of God's word. All throughout the Bible, that concept is used. Maybe not those exact same words, but the concept is used over and over and over again. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Psalms 1, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Delighting on, in God's word, meditating on God's word. We love the word effectiveness, right? It, today, um, when we think of strategies and um, business models, goals, vision statements, everything's about being effective. And if it's not effective, push it away and let's try again. Something really significant here and interesting about what Jesus is saying here. Churches, let's just talk about churches for a second. We can be caught up and preoccupied with web pages, social media, about getting our name out there, about different things. And if we want to look clearly and look carefully at what God's Word has to say about effectiveness, all these things about modern techniques, they're never mentioned in the Bible obviously, but what is mentioned, if you, want to, if, we want to be effective, if you want to be effective with your life on mission, it's about how you live your life. It's that simple. Here's, listen, this is, this is pretty amazing. Twelve regular people, twelve regular fishermen, regular guys, set the world on fire with a new movement called The Way. People whose lives have been radically changed by Jesus Christ with no platform, with no strategies, no social media, no Twitter followers, no Facebook friends, none of this stuff that we want to lift up. It was people's lives that were changed by the gospel. People's lives are changed. Our lives are changed when you meditate and you dwell and you think about God's word. It's that clear. We get things out of priority often. If we want to be effective about being on mission, Jesus in his own word says, 
that thy word is truth. All right, one other place. Really fast. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 17. This, this is interesting. Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is Moses talking about a future king someday. So if you want to be king of Israel someday, here's what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18 says this. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. If you want to be the king, you want to be the main guy, sit down and rewrite the law. Handwrite it. Right? That's what teachers used to do when the kids were being a little smart mouths, right? Sit down and write out this thing over and over again. Well, here's what he's saying. If you want to be the king, write it down. Meditate on God's word. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all of the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Look, reading, writing, meditating, doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. If that would have been followed by the kings of Israel, the history of the nation of Israel would have been changed forever. There is a simplicity. There is a beautiful simplicity to effectiveness. Live your life distinct for the honor and glory of God. Be growing in your life. That's what Jesus prays. This is Jesus in his final moments with his closest disciples the high priestly prayer, some of the most important things. It's that time, if you think about this for a moment, if you were to gather near the bed of your dying grandfather and he says to you, I want to share with some things with you before I pass on. Some really important things. This is what he's saying. He's saying being people of prayer. Husbands, take the initiative and pray with your wives. My wife has never said, no, I don't want to pray with you. My boys have never said, Dad, we're too busy to pray. What happens is I'm the one that's too busy to pray. I'm the one that's doing too many other things. We need to be people who take initiative and pray because prayer will protect your life. Missional effectiveness is dependent on how we live our lives. Really fast, I'm going to finish up with this. Here's two mistakes that we must avoid as believers, and sometimes we do this. Number one mistake we make sometimes is isolation. We just want to hang out continually with our own Christian friends and just separate and isolate ourselves from the world. We've got something to say to people, but no one wants to be your friend because no one likes you because you're very religious. And you want to turn Christianity into a bunch of rules. Listen, here's the, here, this is really important we understand. In a sense, there are rules. In another sense, there aren't. 
you have to understand that grace, 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 grace always comes before instructions. Listen, here's an easy way to remember it. Jesus, or excuse me, God rescues the Israelites at the Red Sea. And after that, what does he do? After he rescues them, them, he gives them the law. Rescue always happens before the law. Okay? So here's the easy example. We're at the beach, and the boys are in the ocean. They get somewhere dangerous in a rip. I'm not going to start yelling at them rules. I'm going to rescue them first, and then I'm going to say, hey, next time, check for rips first. Check for holes in the sand first. See, grace always has to come first. And what happens is when we just isolate and hang out with our own little Christian buddies and make our Christian club, we chuck out grace and we just start yelling rules at people. And then people say, I don't want anything to do with you because all you do is bark rules at me. We cannot just isolate ourselves because what happens is we forget about God's grace. The second thing that we make a mistake on sometimes is assimilation. That because we want to be so accepted by people in the world that we just become just like them. And when that happens, we have lots of friends, but you've got nothing to say. You've lost sight of the gospel. You've lost sight of the message of grace. And so we need what Jesus is saying here clearly is we want to be on mission, which means we love our community. We love people in our neighborhood. But it means we also have something to say. That the message, the say part, is the grace that is available to everybody. I'll conclude with this. What is needed most in our community is not for people, not for you to invite them to come to church and hear a sermon from me. What's needed is for people who are followers of Jesus to live their life with personal holiness. People don't need to, they don't need a lecture on Christianity. They need to have it visibly lived out in your daily life. That's what's needed. It's not about um, just you saying, hey, come to church and, and hear somebody come up and give a sermon. That's okay, but I'm saying to you what's far more important than that is you living out the gospel in your own daily life. That is the effectiveness. That is where power comes from. Because it shows that regardless of the pressures of life, there's still joy available. Right? So listen, if life is just beating you up right now, but there's still a part of you that understands that there is joy, there is a sustaining peace that is available to you in Jesus and that you're turning to Jesus instead of Jack Daniels, people are going to ask questions. People are going to wonder, why do you turn to Jesus instead of something else? Here's a question that we, should, we can ask ourselves as far as, we can ask ourselves as a church as far as ministry effectiveness. Here's a question we can ask. What should we be doing as a church? What should we be doing as a church so that neighbors, so that people in our community say this? 
right? So what should we be doing as a church so that people in our community, people in our neighborhood would say this about us? Oh, yeah, I've heard of the Malibu Gathering. I don't go there, and I don't even believe some of the things they believe. But I'm sure glad they're here. Right? They don't come to church here. People, there's lots of people that I know. I have lots of friends in the community that don't come to church here. They probably don't believe things that we believe. But the question we must ask, are they glad we're here? Are they glad that we're here because we love and care for people in our community, that we love our community, that we're not here just seeking what we can take out of our community, but we're here because we love our community and that we love and understand that Jesus has given us a mission, a purpose of our life. That we make our city a better place. That we make our neighborhood a better place. Do you make your neighborhood a better place? Let me give you some help as far as that. And that's something we can kick around in a small group some other time. But just to give you some help for this morning. We have to remember what it was like to not be a Christian. You have to remember about the struggles of life. You have to remember that people suffer, that people are hurting, that people have challenges. If you interact with people and you leave them confused or offended about Christianity, people will reject it. If we invite people to church and they come and they're confused and they're offended, people won't come back. The effectiveness of mission is related directly to how you live your life. Growing in the grace of Jesus. That's why we started several weeks ago with the idea of living what you learn. And it's directly related to two concepts, and I'll finish up with this. It's related to repentance, which says this, I'm sorry. God, I need your help. I talk too much. God, I need your help. I'm making unwise decisions. That's a heart that says, you know what? I need your help. I've been a Christian for a long time, Jesus. I need your help every day. Six times a day, I need your help. Throughout the day, I need your help because I keep doing dumb things. My pattern of being self-focused needs to be broken. My pattern of unwillingness to help and serve other people needs to be broken. That means there's a part of you, your heart is still soft. And faith says this, Jesus, you're the most beautiful thing, the most meaningful thing in my life, and your love for me compels me to change. Your love for me, despite my pattern of just being a complete knucklehead and just doing my own thing all the time, you still love me, that compels me to change. Ministry Mission effectiveness is all about how we live our lives, the choices we make. The beautiful thing about the gospel, and this is the gospel, is that it is directly related to forgiveness. Everybody here needs a second chance. Here's one way to think about it. We're all beggars. This might be offensive to you. I hope not. But here's the way it works. Here's another way to explain the gospel. From one beggar to another, I know where the bread of life is. One person, me, 
on my knees, a beggar looking for food, I know where there is living water. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you as a community of believers needing your help to live out what you've called us to do. Father, I do pray that we would be that we would be driven and motivated by mission because you were motivated and driven to give other people a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Father, I pray that there would be a softness in our hearts this morning, that we would come to you in your love, knowing that we're fully accepted because of your son Jesus, not because of the things we've done, the good things or the bad things, but purely because of your death on the cross, we're loved and accepted. Father, we love you, and I pray that as we take communion and we can meditate for a moment and conclude in worship, that we would leave here forgiven, transformed, renewed, and energized to live a life with purpose. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.